Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. If it is your first time, again, let me just say welcome to South Point Church. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being a part of it. Um, this morning, even before we get into the message, can I just say, man, I love this place. Um, I had a wedding on Friday, and I drove into the Metroplex, and I got to watch one of my old students, who's he's like a grown man now. He got married. And got to see a bunch of my other students and volunteers and things like that. And everybody just inevitably asked the question, like, how's, how's life? How's things going at your church? And every time I was like, man, I love it. I love what God is doing here. I love the people that God has brought here. I love the stories that we get to tell. Man, I just want to say, man, I love South Point. I'm so glad that you are here and we get to be a part of this. We are actually going to wrap up our series Uncharted today. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've just kind of walked through, and usually I don't do series like this, but it just felt like, hey, in 2020, there are so many different conversations going on. Like, what, what makes ours different? Like, what makes our conversations different? And today, we're going to look at an area where everyone gets to be involved because we're going to look at, hey, what's my response? Like, whenever something happens, whenever a situation comes up, and look, 2020 has basically just been a shotgun blast of situations. Like, how do I respond to those things? Because sometimes we respond in a really good way. Yesterday, you know, we, we prayed for the Altmans last week, and yesterday some of us helped them load a truck, and it was the eighth wonder of the world. Um, you could not have put one more thing in that truck. We got all of their stuff, and if they had another pillow, it wasn't going with them. So, Matt, I love you, and that was great. But Matt was sharing a story with us where he had gone to pick something up, and his truck was like a couple of feet out in the street. And a guy drove by and, and took the nice time to roll the window down and just rip into him. I mean, yelled everything in the book at Matt. Matt's a super nice, godly man. And the way that he responded in that was in grace and in mercy and in love. And he told him, hey, if there's anything I can do to help you, because I guess the guy's car died during the process, he's like, I will help push it to your house. Like his response was the ideal response of a believer. But then there's those other times where maybe you respond a little differently. Like I remember, like, J.D., you're here. Like Allison, our, our kids minister, she's known me for a long time. She will say, I remember Jamie when he was a jerk. Um, before, like, I, I knew Christ, before I really, really dove in and started walking, there were, there were times where the way I would respond wasn't the best. And I've really buried that person, and it's not, he doesn't come out very often, but I remember one time in college, I was working at a restaurant, and I had, like, there's a three-hour wait at this point, and I'm looking around going, why is no one sitting at my section? Like, I have no tables. And then, if you've ever been in the restaurant business, our hostess did what's known as triple seat me, where she set all of my tables at one time. And I kindly walked up and informed her of her lack of intelligence, um, lack of due diligence, and a number of other things, and then she cried. <laughs> That's not the best response. I've also had a moment where my wife, um, we had kind of a medical emergency, and we pulled up to a hospital, and nurses came out. And I went to put her in a wheelchair, and the nurse put her hand on my shoulder and said, she can do that herself. I don't remember all of the response, but I remember that none of the response was good. Um, there was, like, just manic yelling and things like that. Uh, I was very angry, and I didn't have to be restrained, but 10 minutes later, she was fine. And I realized that nurse knew exactly what she was doing. She needed Whitney to know that, hey, you're still in control, and I had to go and find her. 
and I had to apologize and not tell her what I did for a living. So we all respond. You can respond in a believing, God-honoring way, or we can respond in our flesh. And that's what we're going to look at this morning because there's so many areas where you can respond right now. Okay, school's having to be done different, and we have a response to that. We've got opinions. We've got going to a restaurant. We've got masks. We've got home. We've got all these areas. What should our response look like? And I'll say this. Every response that we have needs to be filtered through the gospel. Every single response that we have has to be filtered through the gospel. That's why if you're kind of looking up here and wondering or if you're at home today, this is a coffee filter. It's a pretty simple thing, right? Like you buy them in absolute bulk and then you have to like separate them. At the same time, it's fairly complex. Like I don't think any of us could go home today, well maybe somebody here, I couldn't, and make one of these. And yet it serves an unbelievable purpose. Because if you take beautiful, beautiful coffee beans that have been ground up and simply throw them in hot water and stir it around, you're going to get a product, but you're not going to like it as much, right? (laughs) But if you put one of these in, and you let that wonderful, filtered, good hot water go through with beautiful coffee, and then you don't add any cream or anything to it, because that's the way God intended it, you get a wonderful, wonderful product that you can drink, and you're not worried about it. You're not getting gritty. It's good. Filters serve an unbelievable purpose, and the gospel needs to be the filter that we let every single response to every single person, to every single situation, to everything going on at work, to everything going on at home. It has to be filtered through the gospel. And this is what this looks like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or on your phone, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Paul writes this. Says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and in which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And that, had, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then the, all the apostles, last of all to one who was untimely born. He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, (coughs) excuse me, uh, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. If the gospel is going to be the thing that we filter all of our response to, we really have to understand what the gospel is. And I love this section of scripture where he says, I would proclaim the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So, what is the gospel that Paul preached? It's, it's the good news. Like in the, in the Greek, it's this fun word, euangelion. Like it's the good news of what Jesus did for us. And at the same time, it's the whole gospel. 
The gospel is not you not saying bad words. The gospel is not you not going somewhere and doing something. The gospel is more than that. And sometimes we have watered the gospel down to just this morality aspect of, oh, I'm better than this person, and it's deeper than that, and we have to understand that. The gospel, what we at South Point call the full gospel, like we try not to shy away from any of it, not try, we don't shy away from any of it. The gospel begins with the creation of the world and what's known as shalom. Like in Hebrew, sometimes that word gets translated peace, and that's true, but it carries this idea, all is as it should be. And so God creates this beautiful world in which we live, this beautiful universe with its stars and its planets and its majesty. And he places man, he creates man, he places him in the garden. And he goes, hey, that's not good enough. And he, he creates woman, unites them together, and everything is perfect. Man has purpose, mankind has purpose, and that lasts for two pages. And then we get to a spot where sometimes people shy away from him and we say, no, you have to understand this. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned. They had one thing. You, you, my son told me this morning, you have one job. Like Adam and Eve, you had one job. Like don't eat from that. You have all these other things. And yet Satan comes in and tempts them. And they eat of a fruit that they weren't supposed to. And in that moment, in that instant, sin enters into the world and it just becomes part of our DNA. Like mankind just can't get away from it. And that sin is so contrary to God's holiness, it separates us from God. And if the Bible ended there, God would still be perfect and holy. Like, don't, don't miss out on that. Like, if, if the Bible ended at, literally at page 3, God would still be sovereign, he'd still be in control, and he'd still be perfect. But in his love and grace and mercy, at the appointed time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Lived on the earth for about three years, he did ministry. He loved on people. He taught. We, we walked through the greatest sermon that he taught. He, 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 he healed people on and on. And then, at the appointed time, he was crucified. He laid down his life so that you and I could experience forgiveness of sin. You want to talk about love, laying down your life, knowing that my life is going to make the rescue available for all mankind. And he laid his life down. And then what we sang this morning, after three days, God raised him from the dead. And salvation was made possible for mankind. And this is the message that Peter, this is the message that Paul, this is the message that the early church began to proclaim and proclaim and proclaim. And they were unashamed of it. Like their, their conviction was so high. They knew, hey, this message, it's going to rail against Judaism. Because the Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't care. We have to make this message known. And a few years after that, they said, hey, this message is going to rail against the people that are oppressing us right now. We've been taken over by this country called Rome, and they believe in this pantheon of gods. And man, when, when they persecute, they persecute well, but we don't care. We are going to make that message known. And the message began to go out, and the message began to go out, and it changed lives for centuries now. And it's what brings us here today. Years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago, someone shared the gospel with someone. And you don't even know who that person is, but it impacted your life. Because it led to another person accepting Christ and sharing the gospel. And it led to another person accepting Christ and sharing the gospel. And one day it led to you. I don't know who that person was in your life. It was a guy named Phil in mine. 
And he shared the gospel. And I remember sitting on a bench outside of a little bitty church and having Christ invade my life. That's the whole gospel. That's the good news that lives can be changed. And that's the thing that we filter every single thing through. So the gospel is the whole gospel. And I love that he says, hey, which you received. Like there was a moment where you received the gospel. There was a moment where God reached out no matter what your circumstance was. Maybe you had an unbelievably wonderful life where you had good godly Christian parents and they shared the gospel with you. Or your life could have been one where you go, man, it wasn't that story. Man, I was doing stuff that I can't even really talk about today. And then God invaded my life and said, you are going to be mine. And you got to receive that gospel. And he says, in which you stand. We stand like the gospel allows us to stand in the face of adversity. The gospel allows us to stand in moments where we go, man, I want to fall away. And yet the gospel calls us to more. It calls us to stand in a moment where someone's saying something to you and you go, hey, the response I want to have right now um, is a little outside of this filter. I want it to be a little bit like coffee just thrown in water. I want it to be gritty. Um, And yet the gospel allows us to stand and it keeps us. And I love the fact it says, by which you are being saved. Now sometimes we read that and go, being saved? Like, wait, I'm saved, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. It's three things happening all at one time. In one sense, you are saved. Like the moment that someone receives Christ, like we talk about it all the time, heart of stone taken out, heart of flesh put in. Paul would say in Corinthians, like you are a new creation. Like you're literally this new embodiment. You are a co-heir with Christ. It's this beautiful thing. You are saved. If you are in Christ, you are saved. At the same time, Scripture just said you're being saved. You're being sanctified. That big church word of you're being made more and more like Christ, hopefully each and every moment. And so you're saved and you're being saved. And so you can look back at times and go, yeah, if this situation happened five years ago before I knew Christ, or maybe five years ago when I knew Christ but I'm still being sanctified, this is how I would have responded. I'd have responded maybe in a little bit of anger. I'd have responded maybe in a little bit of um, choice words. I'd have responded in a little bit of aggression. And yet, when we're made more and more like Christ, when we are being saved, there are those moments you go, hey, I just responded like God would want me to. I just responded in a way that was God-honoring. I just responded in a way that brought glory to him. And it's not about me, but it's like, man, look what God did in my life. And so it's all of those things at one time. And as Paul goes on, he breaks down a little bit. He says, hey, he, he basically shares the gospel and says, hey, Jesus was crucified, and then God raised him from the dead, and he appeared to Peter. Uh, he says Cephas, that's like the other name for Peter. He says he appeared to him, he appeared to all these other people, and then he goes, then he appeared to one, I love that Paul said, untimely born. Like, I think Paul really wishes, man, if I could only have been born a little bit earlier, he was a little bit younger than the disciples. And he goes, man, I wish... I could have been born a little bit earlier. I was untimely born. Like, I wish I could have seen Jesus face to face, but at the same time, Paul knew what Jesus looked like. Because you want to know what it looks like to filter a response through the gospel versus taking that filter away? All you have to do is look at the life of Paul. Paul grows up as a Jew, also as a Roman citizen, and man, he does not like Christianity. 
He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. And so he knows the Old Testament scripture backwards and forwards. He can defend it. He can break it down. And there's a time in his life and he goes, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. I feel that that rails against all of what I know. And I feel so strongly about it. My response is going to be to go out into Christianity as it's getting just, it's, it's just beginning to walk. And I'm going to fight back against it. I'm going to persecute people. I'm going to see that these people are beaten mercilessly. I'm going to see that, that, you know what, that's not enough. Let's tear families apart. Let's do that. That's not enough. And he gets to a point where he goes, you know what? I hate these people with such a passion, I will unashamedly kill them. And so Paul goes out and begins to murder Christians. And he gets permission from the church, and they like, you know, we kind of like this guy. He's getting rid of these Christians. <coughs> Excuse me. And so one day, in his response to Christianity, Paul's on his way to a town called Damascus. And as he's riding along, the heavens open up. Boom, this light comes out. Literally knocks him off his donkey. <laughs> and then he can't see. And so, you know, in that moment of, man, I'm blind, but I still got my voice who are you? And from heaven, he hears Jesus, the one you persecute. I don't know if there's ever been a moment in the history of humanity where someone has been more terrified in that moment. I am wrong. <laughs> oh, he said, hey, man, I got a different plan for you. Paul spends three days being blind. I love the way the Bible puts it when when the scriptures talk about there's another guy that's supposed to go and meet Paul. They say, hey, there's this guy named, guy named Saul. Um, he's in this town. Uh, he's waiting for you. He's been praying. Like, what else are you going to do in that moment? Like, all he can do is pray. And Paul would later say, I, I know a guy talking about himself. He says he was called up in the third heaven, meaning heaven itself. And Paul basically gets a download of the gospel. And Paul's response goes from hate. Paul's response goes from aggression arrogance to grace and he says on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that was with me that's what it looks like to filter it through the gospel like our response to any situation I don't care if you're just going out to eat and someone says something to you I mean literally last night I was picking some food up and I watched two very grown men almost get into a fight at Wingstop over who was next in line. And I'm thinking of this sermon in my head, watching this going, y'all need a filter. <laughs> like, manager had to get involved. It was bad. Because, man, our, our response so often is just without the filter. But when we filter it through the gospel, it looks different. So what should our response look like? The first thing is this. We should respond with grace. Look in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, praise God, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
you have to remember, like when it comes to how am I going to respond, we're going to respond in grace because grace was poured out for us. You think about where you started life. If someone is without Christ, if someone is not a believer, if someone is not a Christian, literally every aspect of their being rails against God's holiness. Their literal response to everything goes against God. And yet grace was poured out for that person. Many probably say, that's me. So never forget one. We respond in grace because the ultimate grace was given to us. And grace makes us respond differently. It says, um, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace literally rewires our mind. It takes that person that says, hey, this is how I would normally respond in this situation. Like, I want to blow up. I want to get mad. I want to give my opinion. I want to do all those things. And grace retrains us into something else. Like, if you have a dog, you have probably sent it through obedience training. Like, we're at a spot. Kids aren't in here, so I can say it. Um, we, we got our fence fixed. Part of the fence being fixed was, okay, at Christmas, we're going to get a dog. Now, I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. Dogs lived outside um, because we had a lot of outside, and I don't live there anymore. I live in a world where we're going to get a dog, and that that dog is going to come into my house, my house. It's going to get hair everywhere. It's going to be a puppy. It's going to tear stuff up. And so I'm going to send it to obedience training. Like, that, that's going to happen. And, you know, if you, really, if you really love your pastor, I mean, I'm going to get into so much trouble. I mean, if you really, if you really love your pastor and you want to pray for him, you would just pray that God's grace and mercy would be on our house and that we would all be in one accord, that the perfect puppy would be a Doberman. <laughs> We're a house divided in more way than one. But whatever dog we get, I can tell you, that thing is going to get obedience training so that it can rewire its natural desire to pee in the house, to tear stuff up, it's going to get retrained to be obedient and listen. And this is what the gospel does with us. It's retraining our minds to respond differently to situations. It retrains our minds to respond with grace. And when a situation arises and you go, man, this is, I know this is how the old me would respond, that grace kicks in and says, but what would it look like to respond in this way? And not only does it cause us to respond in that way, it causes us to desire to respond that way. That's why he ends with, he says, uh, purify for himself a people, one and I love, for his own possession, like that we are possessed by Christ. We are his treasure, who are zealous for good works. Like, what are you zealous for? Zealous meaning like you, you desire it greatly. There's lots of different things. Man, we can be very zealous for opinions these days. That's what social media tells us. We can be zealous for politics. We can be zealous for sports. That's one that immediately pops into my mind. I love this time of year. It's a time of year where I try and make fun of as many people who don't support A&M as possible um, and then have to deal with the consequences because I'm an Aggie. Like, I love that last week, where is that? Paul. Paul walked in. He's an Arkansas fan. 
We play them next week. Last Sunday, he walked in and goes, I'm not your friend. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, we get zealous for sports. I yell at a television. But when it comes to this, have you ever been zealous for grace? Have you ever looked and said, man, how can I retrain my mind and go, I want to be all about being gracious? Like, I know that grace was poured out on me. I want to pour it out on someone else. So we respond in grace. Second one's this. I'm going to have to hurry it up. We respond in love. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, when I was writing this message, like if you kind of have any church background, anytime you use the word love, um, from a scripture standpoint, 1 Corinthians 13 is like the go-to. Like it's, it's called the love chapter. Um, and so typically, I, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I want to look at something a little bit different. But then I started reading these verses, and I started thinking about them in the context of 2020. If you read 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of 2020, it's like reading it for the first time. And so I want to look at a couple verses this morning, verses 4 through 8. Paul says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the first part of verse 8, love never ends. Now, when we think about that in the context of 2020, you realize very quickly what it looks like to love if you don't filter it through the gospel. Because when it says love is patient and kind, you can look around today and see that there is not a lot of patience and there is not always a lot of kindness. You can look around today and see that there is a lot of arrogance and rudeness. You can look around today and see that a lot of people insist on their own way. You can look around and see that there is a lot of irritability and a lot of resentfulness. You can look around today and see that there are many people that rejoice in wrongdoing. And on and on. Like, if you look at this verse, I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago. And you see, this year especially, you don't filter things through the gospel. You don't respond in love. And you see something very, very different. And yet, we're not called to respond in the worldly response. We're called to respond in love. So we don't rejoice in wrongdoing. We're not called to be arrogant. Like, in the end, we let love endure. Love never ends. And I know at times, this one is one where it's like, man, I can love for a while, but then, man, it gets hard. No, let's let love never end. Let's let love continue on. Let's be a people that are patient and kind when we respond to a situation. You're at work, and you got whoever that person's name is. You're thinking of it now. Hopefully no one on this staff is thinking Jamie. Um, man, they're a difficult person. And the way you want to respond is very much of the flesh. And you go, no, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to continue to love that person because sometimes the story is it took a long time for someone to be loved to know Christ. That can be the story in some of your lives. If somebody loved you, prayed for you, shared the gospel with you for a long time, long time they said love never ends and then they carried that out in your life 
So we respond in grace, we respond in love, and then the last one, we respond with mercy. Look in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 12, just 12 and 13, it says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And I love these four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I don't remember the exact date. I know it was the fall of 2008. I preached through James chapter 2. And I'm just proud right now, like I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time even now. I don't know what it is about that chapter. I have never, I, like I started crying at the beginning of that sermon. I cried, literally, I, it's the only time I cried through the entire sermon. Like it's really hard to preach when you're crying at the same time. I've just never been under such an unbelievable conviction of the truth of those four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We have been called to be merciful in our response to people. And that means everyone. That blankets the entire world. Remember this. People without Christ don't make the right decision. We have to remember that. There's times where we really look at something, we cast judgment, our response is to be very judgmental, and we forget. If they don't know Christ, the Romans would say, look, they can't do anything to please him. Like, they, literally, there's nothing in them that says this should be the right response. And so we respond in mercy. We're merciful towards that person, and we hopefully show them what grace and love look like to begin with. Also remember this. Believers... We still mess up. <coughs> we're still being sanctified. We haven't had, met what we call glorification, where everything is perfect, we're in heaven. Like, believers still do things at times where I'm like, why did I do that? Like, why, why am I not further along? Like, we respond in mercy in those situations. If believers mess up, and if people without Christ can't make the right decision, it's up to us to take the higher road and say, I'm going to respond in a merciful, loving, gracious way. We take the higher road. And so, be merciful when you're driving. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir myself on that one. There's so many times where I'm like, I, I want to teach you a lesson. And it's not smart, it's not good, it's not merciful. Be merciful when you're driving. Be merciful when you're at work. Whoever that person was, remember that God created them. They are made in his image. Be merciful at home. Kids do dumb things. Love them well. Spouses do dumb things. Love them well. Be merciful. Be merciful at church. I say that because I love this place and I feel this unbelievable sense of unity here, and we always want to keep that. Be merciful at church. Church people will annoy you. That's a reality. Next week, we're going to start a new series, and this is, I'm not getting into it, but it will have an opportunity to, to move us forward and let us see amazing things and let us see lives change. And I'm looking forward to it. And I'm also looking at it very, very, very closely and talking with lots of people because it will have the opportunity to, to divide us. You're like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> like, because the good outweighs the bad. 
But I've also seen where it can be divisive. So come back next week to see what it is. <laughs> but we're merciful at church as well. And in the end, mercy triumphs over judgment. And here's where this goes completely full circle, back to the gospel. The gospel is the picture of mercy triumphing over judgment. Because we deserve judgment. You and I deserve hell. Like we weren't holy, we were sinful people, and yet in love and grace and mercy, Christ laid his life down for us, and we can experience mercy instead of judgment. This is the beauty of the gospel. And it's beautiful when someone goes, I need that. I know that I'm a sinful person, but I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus Christ. And in that moment, in that instant, all the love, all the grace, all the mercy from the creator of the universe. So imagine just the quantity of that is poured out into an individual's life. And it's happened over and over and over again. So let's let mercy triumph over judgment. Let's live our lives in a gracious way when we respond to someone, whatever the situation is, whatever is said to us. Let's let it be filtered through the gospel. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, if there's someone here today and they don't know what it looks like to have had love poured out on them, to have mercy poured out on them, but every time that we talk about you, something just stirs in them and says, I, I need that. If that's you today, it's just simply saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my old life, and I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want to follow him. And if that's you today, if it's here, if it's online, praise God. He's the one who saves now, I, I would encourage you, talk to one of our staff, talk to one of our pastors. Just We want to celebrate that with you. Put it on a Connect card. It's a beautiful thing. And God, I pray for all of us. We're going to leave here. Tomorrow we're going to go to work. <laughs> God, the weather's going to change. Somebody will be mad about it. They'll say something. And we'll be put for sure in a spot where our response can be from a flesh standpoint, and our response can be from a gospel standpoint. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill us in such a way that our response would point people back towards you. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.